Yes, ladies and gentlemen, please rise, remove your caps, extinguish your cigarettes, pocket your vaping devices, remove your earbuds, and pay attention to the flag as we honor America with our national anthem. Welcome back to the interview from the Y Millbank Podcast Studio in Millbank, South Dakota. I'm Craig Weinberg sitting in studio. Um potentially with an assassin i'm just not sure um <laughs> what uh <laughs> I, i'm somewhat nervous but luckily no one else came with him and i didn't see a black coat so i think we're okay it's um, charcoal <laughs> it's charcoal <laughs> the current senator state senator uh john wick and um longtime big stone resident yes yes, yes is yes. in with us thanks for coming in well thank you very much and it was so cool um, you're talking about the movies, John Wick. <laughs> um, you know, you grow up with the name John Wick, W-I-I-K, and, and everybody wonders where it comes from, and it's a really long story we could talk about later. But when the movies first came out, it was so funny. Um, my best friend, when I lived in Watertown, he was my roommate, we built my voiceover studio that that's in my home, and we can talk about that later if you want Absolutely. to. Absolutely. But... Um, when we built that, we were uh, he was working at Lake Area Tech in their video production department, and we just kind of worked together at a radio station together. And and he called me, and he said, "So you're going to run for the House of Representatives?" I said, "Yeah." Do you realize I just went to a movie theater and I heard your name like twenty times for free? How do you do that? I said I'm I'm not I'm not lucky. I don't know how. But, uh, it, it's funny because it worked out for my first two campaigns. There was uh, a John Wick movie in theaters like, that was out. being promoted, so my name went out an extra twenty times. How a fortuitous day. of you! Uh, yeah. Who cares if it's spelled differently? Yeah, it sounds the same. That's all it I sure care. does. My my boys, uh, they play this stupid game called Fortnite. Um, oh, I've heard of that. And there's a uh, there's there's a skin, a look you can play as, and it's John Wick. It's the character. And so it, there, it of has course... become so much bigger than anybody <laughs> thought it would be. It is. I honestly believe it's bigger than the Matrix in some realms already. You think that's because of Keanu Reeves? Like he just he he kind of brought that brand with him and made it bigger. I think. Um, Partially because of of the the just abject violence of the movie that is just so different than anything's anybody's seen, and the cool different way it's filmed. Have you ever noticed I've, that? I've, honestly, I've not actually seen them. Okay, <laughs> so. um, I I I had to watch them because that's your name's the namesake, and they're they are just incredibly violent. I mean. You've never seen anything more violent, and uh, my kids have not seen the John Wick movies, but uh, they're an escape. There's something different, and if you've you've ever watched them, they are filmed in a very slick, different fashion, and occasional subtitles even pop up. It deals a lot with the Russian mafia, and uh, I'm definitely not here to promote the movie, but it is uh, a very slick, different thing, and it, it's got its own following, that's for sure. It sure does, and it's it's crazy because you know my kids have not seen it either, but they know the name and they know the visual of who the character is. So, oh, they they wanted to. Who's coming in, Dad? Who? 
Yes. Who is it? <laughs> uh, all right, let's go back to the beginning. Okay, the beginning. <laughs> Who, uh, you say you're born? Well, maybe not. Well, actually I, born I in actually Big was City. born so in the Ortonville born? Hospital in Ortonville, Minnesota. Ooh. Border jumper. I like yes. it. Yes. Well, uh, you know, Big Stone City is uh, kind of off on its own little island there in the northeast corner of Grant County. And we've had, uh, I, I grew up in Big Stone. My family owns uh, a business there in town, a truck and auto repair business. And I grew up in that. You know, you walk to school, you, you enjoy your time there and you, you go to work right after school. You just walk right over there. And it, it was a great way to grow up living in a, a really, really, really tiny town yeah. where everybody knew everybody and it was uh you know with ortonville right there i mean we're tied in with a phone exchange we're tied in with the garbage route we're tied in with just about everything with ortonville so uh when big stones high school closed in what was it 1968 uh they kept the k-8 school in big stone and made an agreement to cross the border and i graduated from ortonville minnesota high school even though i Lived in South Dakota my whole life. And that was, it's proximity. It made yeah. no sense to drive to Millbank to go made, to school. Made no sense yeah. to, to drive at all. I mean, it's, you know, I went to church in Ortonville. I was confirmed in Ortonville, Minnesota. It's just, that was, whoops, that was, uh, I talk with my hands and I got to get used to oh, where I place the mic. That's right. Um, rookie, rookie move. I <laughs> know, uh, rookie move. Guy's never been in front of a microphone right. before. Uh, when was the last time you actually were at the radio station? Because for those that don't know, uh, how long did you work in radio? 24 years. All right. When, was the, when did you quit? Or when did you uh, move on to I moved things? on on September 17th, 2009 was my last day on the air. Okay. That's the year that we um, opened up this building on Main Street. Yeah. Huh. It, that's it why was, I never heard you on the air, apparently. That's, that's I just why. Moved here. And I was a country music DJ. I oh, absolutely man, love country music. We may have music. to cut this short. I know. <laughs> I, I really enjoy country music, but uh, I also worked uh, a classic rock shift. Um, for radio people, I would get up in the morning, I would do a live morning show on a country FM, and then I would do a, a voice track midday show. Like back-to-back. Uh, back. As soon as you're done with the morning, you would just then record your I segments? Would, I actually, while I did the music sweep starting into the 9 o'clock oh, hour, yeah. I would voice track my first hour to give myself a little bit of cushion in case I got a phone call right at 10 when I got off the air. So I would uh, transition into that. I would uh, voice track a midday 10 to 3 show, and uh, occasionally I would uh, even host a political talk show on our AM. And you quit this because... Ah, money. I mean, in small town radio, unless unless you're really chasing the golden ring, unless you want to be sitting in Minneapolis and Nashville and New York and Philadelphia and San Francisco and bouncing around all the time and having that uh, radio gypsy kind of life, you're you're not going to see the the big money that that uh, f- comes with the big fame and comfort and all that. So, how different is that now? You think with the the advent of a pretty much a, a darn good internet connection and the technology that you can get and put in your house. Uh, is that possible, you think, to to kind of break into that now more than it was 10 years ago? I think it is. I, I really think that uh, people who own radio stations are realizing that it's got to come back to local content again, mm-hmm. and they're looking wherever they can find it. And if you've got somebody with some experience who's uh, willing to uh, commit themselves to it, I, I really think 
that uh, if you've got the talent and you can prove yourself that uh, you can remote in and and uh, keep up with the work ethic, I really think now is a great opportunity to do it. Do you uh, see terrestrial radio just continuing to flounder? 92% of people have a relationship with a terrestrial radio station in the United States of America. I just went through and dug through this the other day just to see how they were holding mm-hmm. in. 92% of people claim to have a relationship with a terrestrial radio station. What does that mean? Like they turn it on at some point? Or? It, it's part of their day. It's part of them. Because I remember growing up, I grew up in Oregon, and I don't remember days that we didn't have the radio on. Exactly. <laughs> now, it was typically AM. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was either AM Christian radio or t- big talk. And I, you know, I grew up when Rush Limbaugh became uh, national in the late eighties. You know, when he became nationally syndicated, and then All it right. just went. Yeah, I mean, I graduated. Uh, did you know the KMSD here in town? Uh, I started there in nineteen eighty six. If that gives you a hint at how old I am. Well, it depends. <laughs> I hide my age very well. I was, 14, I, was, I was 14 years old when I started at KMSD in Milbank. Why did you do that? Um, well, I guess we're here to tell stories, so I'll tell Absolutely. you the story. Um, Paul Zahn, who's still yeah. there. Uh, With his cigar? In. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't chewing on cigars at the time. Uh, Paul came in to our family business and asked my mother if she wanted to sponsor a, a Big Stone City news program. Just uh, basically you take the, uh, the, the I remember the, the little tops. There was a weight loss club called Tops Take Off Pounds Sensibly. Okay. And they met every week, and there was a few other odd meetings around uh, every week. <laughs> and they just wanted to kind of uh, capsulize, encapsulate all of these uh, meetings into a Big Stone City news show, sell some sponsors around it, and wondered if we'd be interested in sponsoring it. And my mother said, yeah, sounds like a great idea. We could probably do that. Well, th- cool. Then you can host it. And Wait, wait a second. That was like a thrown in aside. Yeah. Hey, and, you, want, you want to sponsor this? And by the way, you're going to like. And, and hey, do you want to host it? And she said, no, I don't think I ever want to be on the radio. John! <laughs> so I said, yeah, it sounds like fun. I'd try that. And as you know, sitting here with all this stuff around you, it, it kind of gets under your skin. Yeah. You enjoy it. I mean, anybody who can sit in a padded room and talk to people who aren't there. Absolutely. It's, and actually <laughs> still be considered sane. It's a wonderful living. So funny story. Typically, uh... You know the, the 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 idea that someone has a face for radio is kind of a it's a it's a slam on radio DJs. It is as that you know they have a great voice, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> to fit the stereotype, I went and saw Metallica in Grand Forks a couple weeks ago, and cool. they it, it was a crazy show. But they went uh, Jim Brewer is comedian. They he opened the show. It was him for half an hour, and then Metallica played for two and a half hours. And that was it. That's it was, an interesting arrangement. It was crazy, but it was funny because it was like hard rock comedy, which kind of worked. He told weird stories. Um, but right before they brought on Metallica, they bring up Grand Forks FM, you know, rock station DJ. And they bring this guy up and he had like jean shorts on, a T-shirt that maybe wasn't clean. And he was an 
I don't think he'd been in front of people, which means you have, I don't know, 10,000 plus people in this arena, and you put a guy who talks in a dark padded room to nobody and yeah, spins Grand the tracks. Rock. <laughs> it was kind of hilarious. We, the people I were with, I was with, we just stood there in awe that they brought him up and he hardly could say a word. Really? Like the last... That he really promoted their radio station. Good. That's he, what he's there for. He didn't. It's the problem. <laughs> I know. I know. But I mean, I've done that. I I got to introduce George. No, not George Strait. They wouldn't let me introduce George Strait. I really wanted to introduce George Strait, and I lost that. I introduced um, one of my first times ever in front of people. There was thirty eight hundred and fifty people. The capacity at the old Fargo Civic Auditorium when I was going to school up in Fargo. I worked at what was then K100, KVOXFM there, Froggy 99.9 when you drive okay. through there now. My on-air name was Jack Jumper when we switched to Froggy, by the way. We all had Did to have Did you get frog to choose names. that? No. They just no. assigned it. I knew uh, you were going to be I Jack got to, Jumper. I got to pick out of uh, one of five, and I, I thought that was the least. How did they no, pick them? They, they just sat around and came up with frog names. <laughs> Uh, the, the morning show host, he picked it right away. He was the boss. He, he was James Pond. Oh, nice. Uh, Ann Fibian was his morning show co-host. Uh, midday was Hopalong Cassidy. Oh my word. How long did this last? Uh, this, it's still on. They're they're still going. But that model of their silly names. So I guess if you, if the name is part of the show, then who, whoever is that name could change. Right. All right. But the greatest name ever on Froggy 99.9 was, there was a guy who just did weekend overnights, and he said, I have my own name, and I want to use it. Okay, can we hear it first before you go on the air? I want to be Toady Orlando Till Dawn. That was his name, (laughs) Toady Orlando, Till Dawn, and he only worked weekend overnights, and I will never forget that until I die. Wow. So, yeah, it was a fun time. (laughs) But I, I, oh, I I got sidetracked. Yeah. Uh, I introduced Tracy Lawrence. We brought him Ah. in the the day that Sticks and Stones hit number one, which you probably don't know anything about, but it was his debut. It hit number one. It was a huge thing for a, a debut artist to have a number one single, and I went out and introduced him, and I got to introduce Mark Chestnut. 3,850 people. Never never been in front of a, a big crowd. What like kind of prep did you did they do with you to None. get there? None? No. It's like, uh, by the way, you're going on in five? Yeah. You got you got your station t-shirt on? Good. Go. Did you have time to write notes? No. Did you have a cue list? Nothing. Nothing. They wow. said, uh, just go out there and... Uh, the manager on the way out said, remember, he's a MCA recording artist, Mark Chestnut. Oh, you probably had to say MCA without question, right? Yeah. MCA recording artist, Mark Chestnut. Wow. That's all I really had to do. So I promoted my, uh, the station. I promoted the, the, the K100 is what we were at the time. I promoted that and talked about a few things, got the crowd all fired up making noise, and then brought him on. Very good. Tracy Lawrence, Sticks and Stones. Awesome. Gross. He closed with that show, <laughs> really? with that song. That was his encore. <laughs> this is, okay, I might say this is kind of back when um, country m- was a little bit closer to to real. Yeah. 
It was uh, the the resurgence of the new traditionalist area started by Randy Travis and Alan Jackson, yes. yep. Keith Whitley. And it just drifted in, and uh, Garth Brooks just blew it up. And oh, it man. was awesome. I mean, I saw Garth Brooks seven shows in 1993, 4, and 5. Did you go to the one they just had in Sioux Falls, no. the nine shows or whatever no, in a row they I did? Didn't go. I, I just kind of drifted away from that whole part of my life. Yeah. No, I, I haven't been to a concert since I left the radio station. Did Was it a perk? Like, hey, we got this show coming up here. Go oh, yeah. there. Absolutely. It was a great perk. We had all kinds of fun. I We'd take limo trips down to, the, down to Minneapolis when I was in Fargo. We'd take bus trips to Bismarck. and uh, I met Martina McBride when she sold T-shirts on Garth Brooks' first tour <coughs> in Bismarck, North Dakota. He was her. He was his merch girl. Yeah. Uh, Martina McBride was. <laughs> Did she like is, open? No. Really? She no. was just a, a roadie, a uh, merch girl. Her uh, her husband John McBride was Garth Brooks' road manager at the time, so she just came along with him and traveled with him and sold T-shirts to help out. Boy, that worked out. Yeah, that did well. She learned a, a <laughs> lot of things about the business, and and you know, someday she's gonna be somebody. That's She'll right. Maybe. Telling, Selling T-shirts for somebody bigger, you know, like yeah. herself. Well, Tracy's still touring. Yes, he's doing well. He's he and I uh, hit it off. We we I haven't talked to him in twenty years now, but uh, at the time when we were still in radio, I'd email him back and forth every once in a while. And uh, him and the guys from Little Texas would probably remember me, and that's about it. So. That was a fun you, tangent. <laughs> you well, radio is always fun for me. <laughs> I know that was a so, fun. See, tangent. I, I don't know. I, I feel like this podcast thing is now the new golden age of radio. It's like coming back around because way back, um, you know, everyone gathered around the corner radio and they turned on the the news and the Jack Benny. You know, you turned on the yeah. old time radio and you that theater of the mind happened. Have you ever listened to Arthur Godfrey? Uh, Dig the, up Arthur Godfrey. Um, see, I grew up. 1986, when I started over there, I started board hopping for some stuff in 88, and I was uh, doing my own stuff on the air by 89 over at KMSD. I graduated high school in 1990, just to keep everything clear with age. Yeah, I was 97, stuff. so okay. All right. And you're older than me. It was an awful lot of fun to learn, but it was an awful lot of learning and i don't remember where i was going with this now uh old time the golden age of radio well learning a little bit about listening to paul harvey oh man i listened to every it it timed out that i would listen to paul harvey when i was getting up the seven thirty, and then the noontime visit around 11 when i worked at the radio station in the summer i was responsible for recording that and making sure it got played back now I can't relay enough to you what it was like if you ever missed the recording or the tape broke. Because you had one Harvey. shot to hit it, didn't you? Yeah, one shot. One so, shot. So they, they, where, was, where do you record from? Do you know? Because uh, he, he put it out live once. Yeah, he correct? was in Chicago. Okay. Uh, then... he'd, he'd put it out and it would go out live and you could grab it live if you wanted on your satellite. It would come down live at 11.06 and at 12.06. Well, that was when... KMSD started, we were one of the first 50 
six stations Rush Limbaugh started on when he started Nationwide. And I would, part of mine, it wasn't right away, but when I came in there, my job was to record Paul Harvey and Rush because even though Rush was live 11 to 2, uh, we, oh, we would play Rush from 1 to 4. Oh. So you'd get through, you know, the noon hour in small town radio, the noon hour is local all usually local and and that is when you make your money i mean to mm. be honest you mm-hmm. make your money in the mornings like uh, wcco in minneapolis yep everything after 5 30 a.m is profit i was told that once they run enough commercials from midnight to 5 30 to pay their costs for the day that's established listenership so overnight ads are enough to pay their costs and all their people. Are there uh, talent? Is there on-air talent paid well? Mm-hmm. Very okay. Well. I always thought it'd be fun to be down at CCO, but never kind of got into that groove. <laughs> I mean, have you ever listened to CCO? I, I they honestly, have I a don't groove. listen much, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Every station has a groove. I don't know what what you want to say. Maybe it's my back to my old vinyl radio vinyl uh, needle days. But every station has a groove, and you either fit in it or you don't. And I sit and I listen, and I'm like CCO, maybe not, but KSTPAM, I might have. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the days. Now they're all sports, and uh, between you and me, I'm I'm not a huge sports fan. Most of that is the syndicated sports, correct? Like they're, or, or oh, do they, they have do local? Local. Okay. They do a lot of local. Well, they've got a few teams they can talk about there. Yeah, I mean, they, they have professional sports. I mean, they don't have any well, trophies to really talk about. But they have other, big stadiums. Well, do they, they have, have professional? Oh, man, we're just going to get in trouble here. No, they, they do have a professional <laughs> baseball team. I remember. Mm. Uh, old, oh, oh, way back. Right? Yeah. I remember. <laughs> Kirby Puckett. Oh, man. I, oh yeah. Kent Herbeck. I actually, oh, uh, yeah. I met Kent about five, six years ago at an event I photographed. He's a fisherman now. A very good friend of mine uh, sat next to him and had lunch at uh, Taco John's in Watertown about four months ago. That's because he's really good friends with some other people down there yeah. that I know of. So that's crazy. Isn't he, he, doesn't he guide? Fishing, I don't know. He's, he's, got, he's a, got some he's outdoor got a show. stuff. Yeah. yeah, he's got a show. Yeah. I mean, why not, really? Yeah, and when Taco John's first rolled out their fish tacos, he was the spokesman for the fish tacos at Taco John's. So voiceover, do you ever do you ever do that? Have you ever thought about it? I did some yeah. for a while. Um, I, I had a string of car dealers on the East Coast for a while. Really? I was, I was the high-intensity, get your Jeep now. And that's what they wanted. That's what I did. And it was fun. But it really didn't help me broaden myself as a voiceover artist. I just became, I can talk really fast. I can talk really loud. And I can sell you a car. You were the monster truck guy. Yeah, whatever. Okay. That's what some people wanted. And, and it worked. But it I kind of painted myself into a corner. And mm-hmm. I, I would really like to to kind of step back and start playing again. I just don't have the time. I've got this Senate thing going that, that really uh, kind of um, takes a lot of time to do well. I guess we should talk about that soon. Well, I mean, that's whatever. It's part, yeah, it's a couple questions I've got. Okay. Um, you so, want to do that well, now? Or well, when, wanna... did you, when did you start with, the, like, how old were you when, 
I guess say, what year was it when you thought, yeah, maybe I'll I'll do local politics? Um, well, I became interested in politics in my grandfather's breezeway growing up. Okay, he would he would talk to me about a lot of things, and uh, the main thing he would talk about was, you know, I would listen, I would I would hear Rush Limbaugh twice a day. I would listen to it to make sure it recorded onto the tape. And then I would then have you'd to air it. listen right. for the commercial breaks when I play <coughs> oh, it okay. back. Oh, okay. Let's going back to the the radio world. How yeah. did that work back then? Because he had his own ads, and then there was a spot open. Yeah, uh, four spots open. The ear piercing tone. Yep. That he mm-hmm. used. Uh, that would that was the signal that it's time for the local ad. Did it fire automatically? No. So it was all had to be manually. No. Done. When I sat there, when when we did the tape. Mm-hmm then it was all manual because all of the automation was gone on the tape. Now you can automate, um, if you listen to, well, KSDRAM still runs Rush, if you like to listen, mm-hmm. 1480. Um, that is completely automated. Yeah. Uh, all the tones come down. I helped set that up. I'm kind of a part-time gearhead, and it, it's really amazing how simple that is. <laughs> Is, is it still running off old technology that, yeah. as far as when it fires? Right, 70s yeah. technology. Wow. It listens for a subaudible tone, usually like a 63 hertz or mm-hmm. a 116 hertz embedded in something. And if there's a, a gap longer than, was it seven seconds, then it fires something because yeah. you can't have dead air on the radio. Oh, I know. People will turn the channel. You want to hear a funny story of about, about <laughs> commercial breaks? Howard Stern got his start and became, became uh, more famous. A gazillionaire. By calling in to national talk shows like Larry King's old national talk show while he was in his production room at his local radio station after he got off the air, and he would have his engineer, he recorded the tones. No, just to mess with them. And he would go be talking to uh, Larry King, and in the middle of it, he would fire the commercial break, so all the stations would break off right in the middle of a segment. So uh, that was one of the things that uh, drew the ire of the FCC to Howard Stern before most people knew the words he was actually saying. That is the joy of a gearhead. (laughs) So you know that Howard Stern actually, and a lot of the other big guys in radio, and uh, you you could go on about these stories forever, but you know Howard Stern is sitting there talking and listening to how to do this because he is just an old gearhead (laughs) trying to figure out how to use this and how do I sound and what do I do and how do I add some emphasis by moving my head around and tr- so you know he's a gearhead and mm-hmm. that's cool yeah <coughs> well and he's created Excuse some me. weird oh thing that just is mind blowing I know it's and how big it is I, I saw I watched a documentary on don't ask me why on Slipknot which mm-hmm. I've never listened to they're, they're crazy yeah apparently Insane Clown Posse for those that were into the alternative world back then, had a feud. There was some issue there between Slipknot and Insane Clown Posse. They could, they were mad. And so he brought them on the show. So yeah. what are you guys going to do? <laughs> They're yeah. talking back and forth with each yeah, other. what are you going to do? <laughs> Let her up, Tater Chip. Let's go. <laughs> uh, it's just, that's that's the joy of radio to me. Yeah. And I, I feel like it's getting lost so fast because, well, first of all, I think dollars are a problem. Mm-hmm. Advertisers now uh, really want to control what you're allowed to say, mm-hmm. and they come in and go, "Hey, can't talk about that, or else we're not going to pay for that." Right. Well, it's not brand safe. 
And that's why I love this idea of a podcast, because the reality is... The only person we no, would yeah. offend here is you. And there's a good chance that won't happen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, all right. So, politics. You, uh, what year again? Uh, let's see. This would be back in uh, 89, 90. I was, I was really starting to, uh, you know, I graduated from high school in 90. And uh, my grandfather was a huge influence in my life. And we'd sit in his breezeway and we'd talk about stuff. And I, I'd ask him because one thing I did manage to learn in school is that, uh, you know, the only way you can truly learn history is talk to somebody who's been there and done that. Mm-hmm. Because uh, if you don't learn history, you tend to repeat it. Mm-hmm. And I don't like to do dumb things that other people have done. And if I can learn from them and not do them, maybe we can all live a little bit better. So I'd sit and talk to my grandfather about political stuff. And I, I, I'm i fascinated in the time period from the stock market crash to the end of the Korean War. 1929-1953. Um, some of the biggest hardships that this country has ever seen. Absolute absolute destitution out in this part of the world uh people learned to live through just saving because there was no go get another job or go get this or you know maybe pick up an odd job to pay for something there there was nothing visa didn't exist right there was no credit card there was no uh a, a lot of great storekeepers around millbank and and other places kept people going by allowing them to pay when they could. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's face it, there was a lot of just absolute pain. And I don't care what part of your life you've ever been in, you learn most from the pain. So when I could take some of those lessons, um, my grandfather had a tremor his whole life. He, he just kind of shook, but you put a hammer in his hand and a nail in the other, he would never miss it. It was just mm-hmm. strange. You'd be sitting there talking and he had this... the the shake going with his head and his hands and but uh you start hammering nails he was a carpenter his whole life and uh, bl- uh bricklayer block layer lo- did a lot of concrete block saputo cheese factory in big stone city yeah. if you ever drive by most of the original building my grandfather laid all the block him and his, <laughs> wow. yeah um another little piece of trivia there but uh he learned through all of this how to focus and and how to get the job done and then when his tremor started he just did that but when his tremor started the army said no you're not going to world war ii so i got to learn world war ii not from the history books and not from the soldiers who were there but from a guy who was living it and just trying to help out the most he could at home to win the war so you learn the absolute destitution, you learn the, the struggling through the 30s, you learn the struggling through World War II at home, and then the prosperity that came afterwards and all that right up to about 1953, 54, and, and uh, we would just talk about that and then try to learn a little bit about the politics of that. And, and uh, he said, yeah, Roosevelt was going to save us all. Roosevelt was going to come through and I voted for Roosevelt in 1932, and, and it was all going to be better. And he said, biggest mistake I ever made. Why? He said, the government <coughs> tried to, to uh, take, it, take over our lives, is what he would kept saying. He said, in hindsight, I wish we would have not had Roosevelt. This is what my grandpa would tell mm-hmm. me. And, uh, yeah, he was a Republican from long back. But 
Uh, he actually he voted for Roosevelt in 32 and 36, if I remember right. Didn't like the idea of the third term. That's what really made him start thinking. And the fourth term, he said, well, we were in a war. I guess I didn't blame him there. But <laughs> the third term is what really uh, got him thinking a little bit. And uh, he became a Republican, and, and uh, we just learned just from some of him. And, and then you take Rush Limbaugh in your ear, and, and you process some of that, and you realize there's a lot of just bravado out there. Yeah. And, and But there's there's a lot of pretty sound philosophy behind some of it that basically uh, if you want a good society you have people involved with making the money and making their own decisions instead of being uh, forced or regulated to by the government and then you start reading a little bit and you get into the founding fathers you get into uh, you know a few uh, uh, the the original story of the the pilgrims you know the actual real story about how they attempted uh, a communist colony was the first year, and that failed, and most of them died, and they managed to bring it back, introduce capitalism, and now everybody <laughs> lived through it. They keep what they grew and yeah, actually and, decide what they did with it. Yeah, and, and that's where a lot of my, uh, shall we say, supply-side economics came into my head from <laughs> learning from people who uh, got through some pretty dark times in their lives and lifted themselves out of it because uh, they didn't see the government as that much particular uh, brand of help. How much government do you think is necessary at the state level? Well, there's 50 states for a reason. They're they're great um, experiments in uh, federalism. And, And I've always been curious about the term federalism because... Uh, federalism is uh, how we divide federal and state government, but it's all seems to be about the federal, and that's kind of where we landed. Um, I believe the founding fathers would see our states to be much stronger, would have preferred to see our states much stronger than they are now, where we can try things in South Dakota that probably wouldn't work in Illinois probably wouldn't work even in Minnesota because of the population differences. I think we're nimble. Uh, we could we could attempt some different uh, taxing ideas, and, and we could get a pretty good idea uh, of what works and what doesn't real quick. And uh, I, I think states, it seems like they're almost irrelevant when you take a look at uh, how all of the attention and uh, the, the, just the immensity of the federal government is out there right now. But I, I really think the Tenth Amendment is going to be what saves this country. The Tenth Amendment and Article Five of the Constitution, to be brutally honest. Well, but who's going to have the courage to, to actually do something? I mean, it isn't the federal government just so big at this point? Is it a monster that can't be tamed? Well, we need leaders with with courage. We need people who are not afraid to uh, worry about their next election and just worry about getting the job done. And, and can, that's can you have that when you have career politicians? I don't. I don't know. Because I, I see some that people would call career politicians. I enjoy Rand Paul. I don't know how far he's willing to go, but mm-hmm. I enjoy listening to him. Um, I enjoy Ted Cruz. I, I lost a little bit of respect for him in the last presidential run. Uh, when he didn't go up on the convention stage and say, yep, I lost and endorsed Trump right there. 
I, I felt he missed an opportunity to take himself to the next level. Uh, he held true to his principles, and I get that, but, you know, the primary's over. It's time to move on and everybody get behind the nominee. Um, I, I see a few here and there that uh, are looking beyond their own election and uh, are not afraid to take some pretty big risks. And, and I see some people that uh, pretty much just live for vote by vote and what is this going to do to get me reelected. And I, I hope and pray every day that I'm not ever that person. Well, there in South Dakota at the state level, we do have some form of term limits. We do. You, you're only allowed, a, what's it, two terms? Four in, terms. In total or just in, in each branch? Four terms in a row. <clears throat> Okay, so then you could sit out one and do it again. Right, or I could immediately switch back to the House. Okay, so theoretically you could be there, assuming you get voted in. Brock Greenfield has been there 18 years consecutive. Four in the Senate, Mm -hmm. four in the House, four terms in the House, and now he's in his third term, second term back in the Senate, third term back in the Senate. And do you think that's healthy? For him it is. I'm talking Um, about for the state. For the state? Um, in his case, yes, he looks at, uh, every session, um, with, with a new attitude. And let me say this in South Dakota, our governor's office is a very powerful office. I heard that from someone else this morning, actually, that and more powerful, powerful than it probably should be. Probably. And I think part of that. And I, this is the only part of me that talks like a politician, but there, there's a thing called institutional knowledge that happens out there in government. And right now, the people who work in the governor's office and our lobbyists are the one who have our institutional knowledge. The lobbyist crew out there is absolutely incredible. They have uh, what's considered by some people to have the dirtiest job in politics, but in South Dakota, I would say that it it is far from that. It is the the lobbyists that I know police themselves. They keep it all honest. They keep it all for a reason because they are hired by whatever entity hires them. And uh, they come out there and, and they represent a point of view. But a lot of them have been there 35 and 40 years representing that same point of view so they have the history of again back to my point of you you tend to make the same mistakes if you don't find your history so you you find some of that institutional knowledge here and there where you know uh senator wick that bill idea you're looking at was actually tried in 1993 and failed and here's why Go back and look at the bill. I'll tell you what. I'll bring you a copy of it tomorrow, and we'll sit down and talk about it. I like your idea. Let's see what we can do so it actually passes this time. And that is the only downside of term limits. But those people that have that knowledge, they're not elected. You're right. So does that argument even matter? No. Like term limits, you rotate the legislator through Mm -hmm. all day long. But you have these people that are established oh. that are are the that voice of history. And this all presumes that they're upstanding. Right. But 
that's that also my point. presumes that the politician is upstanding as well, doesn't that's it? That's right. And that's one they thing you're going to They can get kicked learn. out. They can get kicked out, and so can we. You know, pretty easy. I uh, Every two years I come back, well, I live here. That's that's the other part of the legislature in South Dakota. It's not a full-time job. It is definitely not a full-time job. I mean, this this last year, the uh, legislature passed a pay increase, first one since the 90s, since 92, I think. And I originally was opposing it, and I sat down and I talked to a few of the people like me who have a full-time job, who have kids, and, you know, I would like to see more people who know what it's like to work 50 hours a week and not get the work done out mm-hmm. in the legislature. Um, I, I really enjoy the people I serve with, and I'm certainly not attempting to make it sound like I'm bad-mouthing anyone at all. But there's a lot of retired people. There's a lot of, um, you know, people who just haven't been involved in the day-to-day for several years and it's a different point of view we need their point of view and again i'm not trying to take anything away from them is it out of balance though the ratio i don't know uh some days i wonder but uh right now we're just seeing a uh some voices out there that kind of forget about the people who don't know what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck and kind of scrounge here and there and not really have nice things all the time and that gets lost because there's a lot of people who uh, have you know businesses and they're doing really well and they're able to get away and and hire somebody to run it while they're gone and do all this and 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 god bless them they're wonderful people and they're able to give their time and all that but there, there's a, just a perspective sitting in that room. It's like, you know, I can't afford to eat out more than one night a week with my yeah. family. And it's it's tough to make it the way it is. So what are we doing to thinking about adding more taxes to this stuff? We, we just can't do it. Yeah. Because you can't avoid taxes. You know, you, you, can, you can decide to say, you know, we're not getting a pizza tonight, kids. We're, we're, we're going to go home and... Uh, we're going to clean out the fridge for leftovers tonight. Maybe we can have something nice by the weekend. But uh, when the taxes go up, you can't come in and say, you know, you, you can skip that this week because, well, the only things that are certain in this world are death <laughs> and taxes, right? <laughs> okay, you guys just had a special session in the Senate. Yeah. And some people would say that was the greatest tax increase in the history of South Dakota, and I'm a hypocrite for what I just said. So here's the question I have. Okay. Uh, I, in the primary, um, Marty Jackley's position on this situation, his outward position on the Supreme Court thing mm-hmm. that happened, yep. um, <coughs> caused me to run as far as I could from him. Oh. As a okay. small business owner. Okay. Um, because. All right. Um, the, <laughs> why do, and going back to history, All right. why do, why does the U.S. exist? The U.S. exists because we didn't want taxation without representation. Exactly. So, 
I'm thinking it, looking at it from a South Dakota business. Mm-hmm. Now I, I I do a little bit now, not a ton, and because I don't do a ton yet, um, there are provisions that allow it to me to slide in for now, mm-hmm. and I'm safe for now because I know government. <laughs> Yeah. And when government sees money they can grab, they will do it every yep. time, every chance to get. That's right. Especially if you're dealing with someone like a, a Minnesota government. Oh. Um, an Illinois government. Mm-hmm. Uh, potentially even Iowa. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, th- those states. So the problem that I see with requiring a company that has zero business presence, physical business presence in the state, Mm-hmm. requiring them to now become a tax collector for every state in the in the country doesn't seem to be a pro business position it seems to be uh it seems to be adding a rather large burden to the business owner and for for instance um if i have a client cuz I, I do a fair amount of graphic design and so mm-hmm. there's no physical I, I don't have to go there uh, like right now i'm working on a big uh fundraising campaign that I do for a college in Oregon. Now, Oregon has zero sales tax. So right. for them, it doesn't matter because at, at the state level, they don't have that. Yeah. Um, now, I do that kind of work for other businesses and people around the country. Now, you're doing this, uh, uh, let's see, I'm just trying to go through because I ran into this when I had my, my voiceover business for a little while. Um, advertising is not a sales tax item in South Dakota. All advertising services are Oh, but are in Minnesota exempted. it is. Right. But and, in and South so, Dakota. Well, but so what I'm saying is this whole situation with the Supreme Court saying, you're right, South Dakota, for trying to go after Wayfair and Newegg. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're going to force them to start collecting tax on purchases from inside South Dakota, even though they have no say in our tax structure. Yep. Um, what that did is it said, now Minnesota, you now can do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So when I do design work for a customer in Minnesota, what happens is I now, now I fall under the threshold for now. Yep. So I don't have to, but as soon as that threshold is either gone or I meet it, Mm -hmm. then now I have to become a Minnesota business. Yep. In addition to a South Dakota business. Yep. Now I don't have a presence there. I can't vote. You're right. So I have zero um, say in their system. I have say, I can vote you, I can vote whoever in South Dakota. So my problem with it is this is essentially creating a taxation without representation situation in every state outside of this one for businesses inside South Dakota. And I don't see that that was ever addressed or even considered. Well, yes, um, that was a consideration. I mean, there are some people who claim that uh, we're we're pretty much opening up Pandora's box and, and we're we're going to rue the day and and we're we're going to uh, regret this and I get that but what it boils down to for me is this is a pretty simple discussion to have and please feel free to jump in and interject anytime you want. Um, if you are a farmer and you've grown beyond the site on which you live and you move into the next county or school district and buy a chunk of land, Mm -hmm. you're in the same situation. Yeah, but you're physically, you have presence there. Yeah. Right. Well, but you can't vote there. 
You only vote where you live. Okay. So if you're a farmer and you own a chunk of land in the Millbank School District and you move across the road and you own a chunk of land in the Big Stone School District, all of a sudden you have two different property taxes you're paying. Mm-hmm. You have two different, uh, possibly two different counties that you're paying taxes to if you move drift a, into right. Roberts County close. And other than the land immediately attached to your own house, you have no say in what ha- okay. what goes on with that. Right. So, um, but is that pr- somewhat different in a in a pr- product? Like I, you come in, I buy a product, and here's here's an example that um, I've been thinking on to try to see how this could work, um, because the tax is owed where it's where it's delivered, in mm-hmm. theory, where it's used. Like that's the concept of use tax, right? Th- that's the whole concept of sales and use tax. It's end user, correct? End so, user pays for everything wherever it lands. End user. So here, here's if now. Every entity that's online, and they, and so I, I, let's say I go buy, a, I don't know, microphone, a, de- a microphone from St. Louis. Yep, just where these come from. Let's say I go buy that there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what, what's going to happen now is that company, well, now it will. They're they're going to be required by law to become a South Dakota entity and pay the collect tax for me, mm-hmm. and then remit it to the state. Correct. Once they reach. 200 transactions into South Dakota or $100,000 mm-hmm. in total sales. For now. But yes. Yeah. And 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 this is why I say it for now because I I mean that can change. Possible. I mean, I mean we it can't, will because <laughs> we can't bind future legislators no. and, well, and people like to spend money. And I, if it's I a matter you. of dollars when all of a sudden well we got this other 50 million or whatever they say they need. Mm-hmm. Uh well man look at this other stuff we're we're missing out. There's another 30 million dollars on the table that we're not getting. You're telling me that a future legislature won't go in and say, actually, we're just uh, going to drop that down. I'm not going to tell you that the current <laughs> legislature isn't <laughs> well, already looking at it. But well, and exactly. that's why we need principled people who are, are willing to stand up and say, this is this is as far as I'm going to go, and we're going to keep that limitation. And if you look at the Supreme Court ruling in Wayfair, the reason we got in there and the the reason I think we won the case is South Dakota wasn't out there uh, being real demanding. We said, "All right, here's our lim- our small business limitation: your 200 sale or 200 transactions or 100,000 in sales." Mm-hmm. Um, we were instrumental in setting up what's called the stream streamlined sales tax agreement, right. which uh, you know a whole bunch of states get together and and 20, uh, is there 22 or 21 states yeah, right now i think on we it. provide the product mapping software so that you can go through and what does that cost nothing well no 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 to the state it costs something no oh well, come on who pays Here, for it you, you okay. can't tell me that's free i'll tell you who, <laughs> no you're right it is not free but let me explain how it's paid for because this is the greatest misconception and this doesn't fit neatly into a 30 second editable news story well, that's why we're on the podcast. I love Let's this. <laughs> okay, so if you file your sales and use tax forms electronically mm-hmm. and you're a large volume customer, <laughs> if you do everything according to South Dakota's chosen paperwork and you fit in the qualifications and do it, I'm going to say our for a minute. I'm going to be representing the state for just a moment. So if you do it our way and you do it and you file it, you'll get up to... Uh, $70 per form that you send in back to keep for saving us 
paperwork and time and people. So is that $70 they deduct off your owed amount? Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you use this processing company and they have a 1,000 clients, now all of a sudden they are getting $70,000 a month. From who? The state of South Dakota. Right, so that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Who, who, where's that money come from? Does that the, come off of the tax It comes owed? off of the tax owed. And what it's doing is it's saving the state of South Dakota from hiring people, from transposing all the numbers and getting them into the right spots. If you're doing it correctly, that's your bonus. That is the money you earn from us not having to hire somebody to correct everything because you're following our formats. So what we're doing is we're actually shaving the cost of government and sharing it with people who are entering it in the proper forms to save us a bunch of employees and time. And if you're the company writing that software that fits South Dakota really well, and you can go out and get customers and say, we will file your taxes for free, we'll provide you with the mapping software for free, we will handle all your transactions for free, and we will guarantee that the state of South Dakota will never be on your back. That sounds like a pretty good deal. Can you guarantee that? Yes. So what happens if, if the concept of a sales and use tax is where it's used and mm-hmm. end user? Yep. And um, I order online. Mm-hmm. That company has to figure out where I'm at. Yep. And then remit the tax owed where I'm at. Yeah. So here's the question. Mm-hmm. I drive to Minneapolis. Yep. I go to the Mall of America and I go in and I buy a pair of pants. Mm-hmm. Is that store now responsible for asking me where I'm going to use them and nope. remitting the tax? Why not? No. Nope. Why? Uh, because it's not that, an online transaction. It shouldn't matter. It's, it's, it's clearly the same laid, thing, isn't it? No, it's clearly laid out in the in our law. No, clearly. I, I know it's not I know it's not part of the law. I know that. Yeah. My point is, it principally, it's the same thing, isn't principally, it? Principally, yes. But principally, uh, they shouldn't have to worry about it because at the very beginning of this entire thing when the whole thing passed in the 1930s you're responsible you're technically responsible for mm-hmm. filling right. out your own use tax forms so and is this the state going we can't enforce this and so now we're going to put the burden on the business owner to be our tax collector i would say that uh you could say it that way but i would prefer a, <laughs> a little bit more positive approach <laughs> i do run a business and it, it's a pain, but you know what? It's part of the, the, the I don't know, call it being uh, your, your citizenship or where you are, your duty. I, I don't know what you want to call it. Well, but, but okay. Shouldn't that be then, shouldn't we create a campaign to make people aware? If, if Jackley knew that there's $50 million on the table that we're missing. Mm-hmm. It's a guess, but if they're, if they're going to guess at that, yeah. why why can't they just go get that from or go enforce it? I mean, if, if we're, I mean, let's talk. Let's talk about opportunity cost here. Well, right. The that's point what is, this. Well, that's right, what the, the whole thing's but about. But what it's doing is it's putting the burden on the business owner. So if I want to be a business owner in South Dakota, mm-hmm. I now become the tax collector. And if well, I don't, that's tax, the way it's if, been since the well, '30s. Well, a business okay. owner in South Dakota is licensed in South Dakota. Well, no, exactly. If you want to sell is, though, into South Dakota if I don't from do Montana, that, right, where there is no sales tax, right, now there's a burden. Right, and but, you got it. You have to decide. Right, but what's the as enforcement? A, the enforcement? Yeah. Uh, part of this the streamlined sales tax agreement is an auditing trail. 
So uh, let's just say an online company doesn't comply. What's mm-hmm. the enforcement? Uh, well, we would be able to uh, sue them for uh, not fitting up to the uh, law. How do you find them out? Do they have to be reported? I mean, because the interweb is so, I mean, so Our- open. I mean, what what's the... But what is the real enforcement possibility of this? There isn't. I mean, let, let's just so be is this, brutally is this honest. Is this a big fat joke? No. Is this posturing then? No, I wouldn't call it posturing. I, is I it a last re- ditch effort by the governor who's out? No. To, get, to make a change? <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. There, there are people who've been working on this uh, very thing since pretty much the 1950s. Yeah. Uh, when you know the high, the heydays of the catalog stuff, and and that's why it led to the Supreme Court in 1992 with Quill versus the state of North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um, and immediately after Quill in the 92, South Dakota, North Dakota, and uh, the the 22 states started the streamlined sales tax agreement with the knowledge that someday this is going to get easier. And that the main thing that was in Quill wasn't about that we didn't think this was a good idea to have the the businesses because it is fairly easy once you're dealing with the money part of the transaction to figure out sales tax and do it not to figure out all the sales tax for all the different municipalities well, but, in yeah, well, 1992 well, but, but how do you do that now how do you do that now yeah that's the software i was talking about that is provided by these these companies that will do it and for there free is if zero you want them to. but there's zero buy-in to get that is that what right. you're saying zero so buy-in. i could buy in for nothing yes and use that software yes and input everything and it will figure everything out and pay yeah. millbank the tax or pay yeah wherever yeah let's say you are, are running a, a warehouse business uh, through the internet out of uh, walla walla washington because i always enjoyed talking about walla walla Onions. washington so you're in Walla Walla, Washington, and like you're onions, that's the place to go. Yeah, so you're in uh, you're you're selling uh, 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 scarves out of Walla Walla, Washington, and you sell a hundred of them into Minnesota. Well, in Minnesota, there's no sale tax on clothing, and if all you sell is scarves, you have your sales tax license. You write a big zero on the form. Oh wait, no, a scarf is an accessory. That's taxed. <laughs> Not if it's for warmth. If if you don't sell them as accessories, and it's just for warmth. See, also, there's a, a fine line. That's, this is bullcrap. I hate nah. this. Are you kidding me? This is why <laughs> the big thing that came out in this whole uh, sales tax uh, Supreme Court case came about because South Dakota's sales tax is so simple and fair. End user pays, and it's it's really, really fair. There's The sales tax is the same on pretty much everything. We have very few exemptions. Very few. You pay sales tax on food. You pay sales tax on clothes. You pay sales tax on shoes and hats and glasses and pretty much, well, no, not glasses. That's medical. So, but yes, it is. So anyway, that's where we get complicated is when you deal with that. But basically medical, advertising, and some farm-related stuff, no, you don't pay taxes on. Everything else, you pay sales tax. And uh, if you're, you're selling scarves into South Dakota, then poof, every scarf, Four and a half percent goes to the state. Two uh, percent goes to Millbank for every transaction you process into Millbank. Uh, the city of Millbank is two percent of that. What if you're outside of a mis- municipality? Does uh, it just it, drop to four point five, or does it, it drops stick to four point five? It does. Okay. I've messed around with some of the software, and it is amazing because uh, my brother lives just outside the city limits in Big Stone. If he mm-hmm. has the items shipped to, to that our address. business in town, oh right. 
it's six and a half percent. And if he ships it to his address, I mean, the software is there already. They've been working on this since the, the mid nineties. And he ships it to his home address, it drops it to four and a half percent off. But what does that do for inside the state of South Dakota businesses that are now have an extra burden for all the out No of extra state? burden. Well, it is. I mean, I don't see it as an extra burden. If you're already doing business in the state of South Dakota, no, you already know how to do this. But I no, I'm talking and, about for the other states now that are jump that are on the on board. Oh. I mean, it's, it's, it's the just the same. For, I mean, you have to you have to make that decision. Are you willing to uh, to swim in that water now? I know a couple of guys who have already just said, "No, I'm not going to swim in that water. I'm doing something else," and they've changed their business model, and that's unfortunate and, and it sucks. But it's uh, you know, government compliance is is just an ugly part of our reality, and that was not the intent on any of this. But the the realistic part of why I'm a believer in this and uh, why I carried this bill is for years people have been advertising on the internet that you can buy this and save six and a half percent order now and how is somebody who's sitting here with a hardware store uh, trying to sell stuff or whatever store pick it um, and they're doing the work they've been doing this since the 40s collecting remitting and doing all of the hard work stocking the shelves uh taking care of your kids little league team t-shirts when the sponsorships come in and doing all this stuff on main street and keeping the business open employing your neighbors and doing all this and funding your state government and all of the things that uh, your state government does for you by being the tax collector at the same time there, there's, there is a hint of fairness we need to talk about here. That, that so, it's, is this just sticking it to the to the man? No, no, I wouldn't call it sticking it to the man. I would just call it keeping the cost of government as low as possible. And and the old adage: if everybody pays just a little bit of tax, nobody ever has to pay a lot. And that's what I live by. So, all of the South Dakota residents, and this is, I've read uh, an argument this that, that you know, all of this money that's going to be collected. Is from South Dakota residents. It is all of it, every bit. So this is uh, this is why the other side is saying this is a tax. It, it's a new tax they're not used to, because right. because they were for whatever reason unaware uh, or uneducated as to the the personal responsibility right. of paying the use tax if you buy it and you don't pay the the proper uh, tax wherever you get it. Exactly. But <clears throat> for those of you who are familiar with uh, the sales tax. Uh, changes that were put in when we went from four to four and a half percent in 2016 the bill that was uh, the tax increase was house bill 1182 there was amendment put on that offered by uh, representative now senator partridge from rapid city and that amendment says if we should ever win this supreme court case or if we should ever start to uh, see these uh, out-of-state collections out-of-state sales local taxes collections come in we're going to reduce that half penny by a tenth of a cent for every 20 million dollars in new sales tax collections until we get up to the 100 million dollars and then we're back at a four percent so net we're going to be winners in the long run when as we reach a hundred million dollars which is it should uh, be one year no right or no. two years sorry two years no according to jack it doesn't stack if it's if he says it's 50 million also, oh, it has the doubles. This is never going to happen. Oh, yes, it is. Do a little bit of math. I mean, <laughs> no, I'm serious. And and this is one of the things. If 
if anything I'm doing would be looked at as a, a government stepping in and intruding on people, I want it very clear in my head that I am doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to this uh, moving the sales tax burden from the honor system to the businesses that are processing the transactions, I think in the last 30 years it has been made simple, it has been made fairer, it has been made simpler, and uh, with the the free software, it's been the, the financial burden is taken out of most of the convert conversation completely. So is this uh, limited to solely online entities? Mm-hmm. I would say because, uh, well, you know, Cabela's, they have Nexus, they they have a building in our state. Right, so they they've been chart collecting it no matter what. Apple, yeah. they've got they've, that because they've got a they they have a presence, um, affiliate presence, and so they they've collected it for years. As far Verizon, as I know. you mm-hmm. know, Walmart, right. Target, yeah, Home Depot, Menards, the whole thing. I mean, and you know, you look at uh, Wayfair versus and and the other side of this is the marketplace. Uh, if if you look at where online transactions are going. They're, they're going to the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2016, 84% of online transactions happen in marketplaces. Now it's 97% because of this free software and, and the ability to just plug in and somebody else will collect all your money. They'll send you a statement. They'll send you the details. They'll tell you what taxes were, were collected and paid in what states. And you just get a statement with your money, with your little online store that you run. And you're you're off and running. So are the only benefits of that free software South Dakota businesses? No, no, it's part of the streamlined sales tax agreement. So because there was a, an article I read out of Seattle, uh, I don't have it right in front of me, but it's a couple, few weeks ago. It was near. It was similar to when the uh, Supreme Court came back, so it would have been in the summer sometime. Okay. Uh, and the, a lady was talking about it, and her burden was thousands of dollars a year. New a new burden. Okay. for software to make this go. So I would highly invite her to log on to the Department of Revenue's website in South Dakota, find some of this, and find free compliance software as part of the Streamlined Sales Tax Agreement. I, I really think okay. that is the part that, that it, when they did their homework, that is the part that really sold me on a lot of this, is uh, there, there's companies that are offering the compliance for... Uh, free or in in some bigger instances where there's tons of transactions of very minimal cost per transaction okay i i I still hate it because because of the idea that i mean i have no say in 49 states jurisdictions none mm -hmm. now there's a couple with no sales tax so they're fine but 45 yeah there's five states it's uh Oregon, oregon montana montana arizona yeah, is Maine or Rhode Island? I think one of those two. I don't remember which one. Yeah, Vermont, and, and then there's a Vermont. Or or, yeah, New Hampshire, <laughs> somewhere in there yeah. too. Yeah, but hey, in Oregon you can't pump your own gas still. So uh, same in Unless, New Jersey. That's nuts. Because you might hurt yourself. Oh, but but if if <laughs> if the county in Oregon, uh, I grew up there, so I've got family out there still. In Oregon, the if the county is less than I think sixty thousand people. You are then allowed to pump your own gas. Really? So is <laughs> there a sign? This year. Is there is know. there a sign when you come in? Welcome to this county, population fifty nine nine fifty. Keep right. an eye on it. 
you might be <laughs> you might have to hire some attendants by the middle of the summer. It's outrageous. It is. So that that's well, I mean, Oregon government's nuts, but yeah, and that's... and South Dakota government's a lot bigger than it used to be, and and there's some uh-huh. things that we're doing, and unfortunately, a lot of it's federal mandate. And and if there's one thing I could do to wave a magic wand, it it's the federal mandate. I would love to be rid of the federal mandate. You know how much money we saved uh, when we did the uh, the the uh, Senate Bill One from 2015, first year I was there. I was digging through, and, and it increased the gas tax, and it changed a few other things because our roads were really falling Oh, behind. it jacked up the speed limit, too. Yeah, and it jacked up the speed limit. Biggest joke ever. Hey, we're going we're gonna to raise gas tax and let you go faster, so you have to use more gas. Exactly. That part of it I found ironically <laughs> hilarious. However, there was a piece in that, and it wasn't very sexy for the, the big media to grab onto, but what was done with that has saved counties and townships so much money that I, I i'm almost sounding like trump here i don't have a number and i don't think anybody will ever have a number but the county can get state aid for a bridge and federal aid can be tied in there but now the bridge doesn't have to be built to federal mandates because the state will wash the money and use the federal money for a state bridge that has to be built to federal standards should a highway detour ever happen have to happen on a state highway then the county can build its bridges uh instead of 20 feet wide with these aprons and all the extra signage can build it just like it was at 18 feet and have a nice safe plenty good bridge for years to come and save three four five hundred thousand dollars on a bridge project and get a lot of uh, red tape and and bureaucratic nightmares out of building a bridge and i really thought that was a wise use of resources and especially helping uh, like uh, grant county south dakota has the second most number of bridges of any county in the state did you know that and a lot of them aren't very good mm-hmm. <laughs> i did so not when, know that though no when you when you take a look at stuff and if i remember correctly last i heard south uh, grant county south dakota is uh the uh, last county in the state to have our own bridge building crew that's all they do Mm-hmm. Well, no. I mean, oh. We've got the equipment. We build our own bridges. Mm. Everybody else farms them out, but we, we have the capability is to that, build our own is bridges. Is that more cost effective? I would think so. Or it's just more, we can get it done quicker because it's our people. Well, I would think it, it would be. Or maybe uh, that, it makes it more cost effective. Yeah, I, I would think that would be your cost effectiveness right there is, hey, we want to build a bridge. We got six guys on salary anyway. Instead of blading roads this week, we're going to build this bridge, <laughs> you know? We're going to buy the concrete. We know what the concrete's going to cost. Let's go get her done, boys. And girls and whatever. I mean, I'm just old figure of speech. I'm an old guy. Are you going to win? I don't know. I certainly don't take anything for granted. I'll tell you that. I I learned a long time ago that uh, if you work really hard and you keep your nose down and you you work like uh, you're behind and you work like uh, if if I don't get this paycheck, I'm not going to live you tend to keep jobs longer and if you uh, run a race like uh you're you're 10 15 points behind and you always keep thinking about what can i do to get to 10 more voters today and uh, talk to them and see if they have any problems that i can solve or uh if there's something i need to do different or better then absolutely you should do that will the uh south dakota legislature change if a democrat is elected governor if sutton wins 
that's a great question. I've I've actually gone back and talked and visited with a few uh, legislators who were there when the last Democrat governor was there, and uh, I would say yes. It it breaks the factions of the Republican Party and reunites it like nothing that they'd ever seen. So this may be good. I don't know. I don't know if it's from, from be good that or perspective. Is that a good thing? Well, or, or does it cause see, a, does a it cause a standstill? Question. I I guess it would probably uh, lean to causing a standstill, and 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 that's a really tough question for me because I, I've known Christy Nome for so very long, and I just I, I'm really excited for the potential she has as a as a governor. I what just, about her lieutenant governor? I I don't know him that well to be to be really honest. I I I I enjoy my conversations with him. I uh, really in, have enjoyed serving with him the two years uh, that he's been there. I mean, my first term in the House, um, 2014 or 2015, 2016 sessions, um, he had to sit out because he ran for the U.S. Senate, mm. lost the primary against Mike Rounds. Um, so I didn't get to serve with him in well, the House. Well, that was a no-brainer. Yeah. Got that kind of money behind you. Oh, I know. But... <laughs> Uh, yeah, he even managed, Mike Rounds managed 50% of the vote on that whole first time around. It was huge. And he did it by hardly spending any money. Oh, no, that was his governor race. You should have been here for that. <laughs> you want to talk about politics. We could, we could, you could write essays for decades on the, the, how Mike Rounds won the governorship. And still a, an open. Cor- corruption? No. It was uh, two old guards of the uh, Republican Party. You had the uh, Attorney General, mm-hmm. Mark, Bar- Mark Barnett. Yeah, Mark Barnett. And you had uh, uh, Joe Kirby, the Lieutenant Governor, under Walter Dale Miller, who became governor when George Mickelson died in a plane crash. Okay, Um they both had pretty healthy war chests and had uh, a lot of people supporting them, so they were just attacking each other in the media just brutally through the whole primary. Mike Roundscombe is there as the nice little quiet guy in the corner spends less than $300,000 and walks into the whole thing and just owns the whole primary. <laughs> we always joked around with him that if he just got everybody with the last name of Rounds to vote for him, he probably could have won the primary. <laughs> That's maybe not good. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we, we we pick on him every once in a while. He's a great guy. I, I enjoy, I've enjoyed my time around uh, former governor and senator rounds. And um, uh, his brother, Tim, is still in the House of Representatives from District 24 and Pier. Um, if you ever like listening to state government, uh, he chairs the uh, Commerce and Energy. He's a great if if you want to get into the methodical delivery of how to be a chairman of a committee, his delivery is just flawless. <laughs> so I've spent a lot of time with him learning in case I ever should be a committee chairman someday. Are you on committees? Yeah. You don't really have a choice uh, when you're out there. You get a committee. Are you useless without being on a committee? I wouldn't say that. I mean... At the state level, I think on the national level you are. Yeah, but yeah, probably. Those cost money. Does they, your seat on a committee cost money in the state? No, no, you're assigned it. Um, <clears throat> okay. 
what what do you do uh, when you're elected the first time you get a, a questionnaire in the mail? Uh, the committee assignments are handed down in the House by the Speaker of the House and in the Senate by the President Pro Tem, hmm. who is elected by the membership to be the, the bipartisan leader. So everybody, uh, regardless of party, votes for the Pro Tem uh, in the Senate and the Speaker in the House. So with the current makeup of the South Dakota legislature, that's pretty much just a straight Republican vote, correct? Pretty much. I yeah. mean... I mean, it's it's so lopsided at this point, right? Yeah, I think, what is it, 89% are Republican. So, and with that number, and you can get back to your thought in a minute, but with yeah. that number, um, does a, a Sutton governor have anything he can do if with, we, with that big of a margin? If we, and I'm speaking as a Republican now, if we hold that margin, uh, I, I think he would uh, find a, a tough time getting uh, any real hardcore modern democrat principle through is, is, is he that i don't know if he is that. i don't is know he? i don't know i hopefully he's I gonna come on him. this show that's my goal well but. i i served with him i i sit on the appropriations committee uh we, we oh and he much. is a senator is he still is yeah. he current okay currently uh he was out there for a special session he voted with um uh both the lieutenant governor who's in the house yet uh, Lieutenant Governor nominee under Christy Nome. Rhodes. Uh, Larry Ro- Roden. Roden. Yep. Roden. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Not uh, Rodent. No T at the end. No T. Uh, and <laughs> uh, Billy Sutton, who is still in the Senate, both voted for the uh, the bills. To pass. Oh, well, we'll have to talk to them, too, about mm-hmm. that. <laughs> there you go. I, I appreciate you uh, answering my questions, though. Yeah, that's, I mean that's what I want. This I thing. don't dodge. <laughs> no, I've that's good. I've <laughs> never dodged a question from anybody that that I can remember. And if if I did, I wasn't feeling well that day because normally I'll I'll I was in a Twitter war for four and a half hours on Sunday. Why? I don't know. I was I wasn't feeling well. I was sitting at home. I didn't have anything to do anyway. That's the last thing to do. I know. I, I've decided that uh, Facebook is not where I will do politics. No. But Twitter was fun. I will fun. do them right here. <laughs> Twitter was fun. Okay. <laughs> I don't like Twitter. I really don't. Um, Twitter is more and more anonymous, and it's more and more vicious and venomous. And Facebook, at least you have to come up with a, a somewhat realistic sounding name. fake name. Yeah, that's true. Although they're so good at picking them out, mm-hmm. that this is sarcasm, uh, The I, I go to a... Calvary Church in Millbank, and <laughs> in order to have a business page, you have to have a personal page to admin that from. Well, I don't want to admin it from my personal page because it doesn't matter. I, I don't. I don't want to own it. Mm-hmm. So there is a personal page on Facebook called with the first name of Calvary, last name Church. Went right through, no problems. Yep. <laughs> so their AI is dynamite. Yeah, their their AI will definitely be our overlord someday. Oh, maybe. Um. Uh, someone asked me the other day. The only question that should be asked to these politicians—that's not how he said it—but sorry about that. Um, I'm sure there were some <laughs> other words thrown no, in around no, politicians. It was clean. Filth, um, flarn, flarn, <laughs> filth. Was what's your position on kneeling for the national anthem? Oh, I know who that Which, was. <laughs> I Which, know who that you was. Do, exactly. Which, in my opinion, it—I don't care. And they shouldn't even be out there. But anyway, um, your thoughts. And does it matter? Really? It bothered me. Okay. I mean, it really did because that national anthem is, is is what I see is one of the things that brings us together. 
Um, what I learned from the whole kneeling thing is that I have a lot more time on Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It was pretty easy for me to just walk away. Like I said before, I'm not a huge sports fan anyway. I always follow the Pittsburgh Steelers. I love the Pittsburgh Steelers. Ooh, fun fact. Yeah? I grew up as a little wee one with Troy Palomalu. No in way. In the same neighborhood. We, oh. don't, we don't know each other as adults, but when we were this big. Yep. I, I have to shake your hand when we're done. <laughs> I know people that know him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. Now that is passion and heart on display on a football Oh, man. Well, to, to reinvent there. what the strong safety position actually is, like he did, yeah. was just mind-blowing. I mean, to take 60 years of what a strong safety was and go, no, nope. I'm doing it this way, yeah. and win. Oh, man, yeah, and make yeah. it work. Yeah. yeah. Uh, watching him in high school was nuts. Oh, I can't because he was the he just would run through both both sides. He was on a, offense and defense, and you know small town school. Just oh, and then that go to USC, awesome. and then yeah. I, I have hate, started, I hate USC with a passion though. Oh, I have started watching a little bit more college football now. Just see, I, I've always been an Oregon Duck fan. We grew up right south of there, and so well, um, I attended NDSU in Fargo. Is that the the pointy? Buffaloes? It's the bison, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry yeah. about that. That's okay. Whatever. <laughs> you can call them pointy buffaloes. Uh, actually, if you if you they're to, not bad though. No, they they were really they're good. They're kind of a powerhouse. I knew a lot of guys who played on them and went on to be NFL players. Wow. Um. But uh, you know, SDSU is part of my district. Too. Bunny rabbit. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, the bunny rabbits. And I started watching SDSU, and I I catch myself cheering for them quite often I, I enjoy watching sdsu gone to a few basketball games sdsu and they're fun you, you really should go if you haven't basketball yeah. i've never been to a i've been to a football game once but no basketball oh I, basketball college basketball is fun to, to attend yeah it's yeah. just a hoot um and uh, went to uh, uh sdsu women's basketball game that was awesome awesome to watch um but, uh, yeah, I, I really, really have been getting into uh, starting to follow some SDSU stuff. And and uh, it gives me more time on Sundays since the whole kneeling thing started because I view it a little bit differently. I, I think uh, the whole problem is the owners because they're just like the owner of a radio station. If they didn't like what somebody was saying on the radio station, they have complete and total control of everything that happens on that field. And they should have stepped up and said, listen, you're alienating a third of our audience. You're costing us a lot of money. And uh, if you want to protest on your own time at home, I, I will gladly help you. I will support your cause, but you can't do it on my field. That That's my opinion of it. Do you think some of this has to do with the, the sponsorship rules the NFL has? Like you can't attend a press conference wearing anything but Bose headphones you can't wear certain brands of clothing. Yeah. Uh, they, they all have this. These so why do they do that? And then, and then through this same thing, yes, you have to wear uh, the Reebok mm-hmm. is right on every <laughs> uniform. If you want to yeah. buy a Pittsburgh Steelers uniform, it says Reebok on it. <laughs> okay. And if you, uh, you know, you have the Bose headsets, the, the Microsoft uh, Surface mm-hmm. and all of that. They have complete control over all of that, but they don't have complete control over what happens on the field during the national anthem. I'm sorry. So, do you think this started? Uh, and I actually threw this question at our our friend, mutual friend. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Which I, he's a blast. I like him. Yeah, um, I do too. And 
I hope he's listening. Uh, and he, I, he will. I'll poke it at I'll, I'll throw it at him. That's fine. Um, he. Uh, do you think this started when the military started becoming a sponsor of the NFL? I don't think that's... Like, I don't like, think had, that's got Had that not been it. the case... Do, well, here's the other question. Do we need to sing the national anthem at a stinking, really high-paid sporting event? At a sporting event, period. Do we need to do this? Well... Uh, let me answer that by another story. Dirt track racing. You a fan? I've seen it, but no. Okay. Uh, rodeos. That's impressive. Oh, yeah. You a fan? Um, yeah. Um, okay. Before you move on, who is the voice of rodeo? Jim Thompson. Oh, no. I built That's his wrong broadcast answer. studio. That's the wrong answer. It's Bob Tallman. Come on now. I yeah I'm fine but to no, me no. it'll be Jim Thompson right. because Jim Thompson is the voice of South Dakota rodeo oh, he's I the voice okay. I grew up when it's rodeo it's Jim Thompson anyway um <laughs> you ever been to a that's rodeo a oh yeah that's okay uh, I secretly wanted to be a cowboy when I was a kid a real one I don't know what that really meant as a kid but I had horses it was fun I I thoroughly enjoyed my time riding horses and. And growing up on a very, uh, we we were town kids, but my grandpa had a hobby farm. Town kids in Big Stone, South Dakota, Big Stone City, South yeah, Dakota. Yeah, I mean, there there was a difference, yeah. you know. Um, but grandpa had his hobby farm just uh, a mile and a half outside of town. And we'd have to go take care of the horses and we'd always get some, some yearling steers and fatten them up and then fill our freezer and sell a couple of them to pay for the feed and. And uh, we had some hogs, uh, never did the chicken thing that much. Um, and it was a very wonderful aside to, to get out and actually do the farming and, and being part of the, the animal stuff. But, uh, and, and riding the horses and, and helping with, it was absolutely, I, I wish everybody would have the freedom to do that. But you ever been to, uh, you know, the, the ground-up sports is what I'm getting at. Rodeo, uh, stock car racing, these little tiny things that mm-hmm. happen in little tiny towns <laughs> all over. H- have you ever seen one of them start without the National Oh, Olympics? no, not at all. Exactly. Yeah. So why should the big ones not? Well, I'm, okay. okay. That's, That's a great my question. Point. Yeah. I, may, I don't know. And I don't yeah. know the answer. I just, yeah. if you, nobody if you go to, ever talks about that. Yeah, if you go to any of the ground-up stuff, the, the little stuff, the 4-H stuff, the the even if you're 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 going to a ranch rodeo on somebody's own ranch national anthem yeah it just mm-hmm. that's who that's yeah. who we are you know ladies and gentlemen please rise exactly <laughs> oh here give me that one moment ladies and gentlemen please rise remove your caps extinguish your cigarettes as we honor america with the national anthem performed by Lee Greenwood. Put out your cigarettes? Yes. Really? I've never heard that before. Really? I grew up listening. That, that was that was it at the racetrack in Madison, Minnesota. When they when they would stand when they would say it's time for the national anthem, ladies and gentlemen, please rise, uh, mm-hmm. remove your caps, extinguish your cigarettes. That's crazy. That's huh? I wonder if that's a Midwest thing. I don't know. I, I That's just, hilarious. Though. I always do it to this day <laughs> wow. when it's time for the national anthem and I'm announcing anything. I, I love antique tractor pulls, by the way. 
Oh. They're fun to announce. Yeah. Because people take themselves so seriously. And you can have fun with that. <laughs> now, so, po- po- pocket your vape. I mean, what do you do now? It's so I, boring. I, you know, hey, I might work that in. <laughs> you might. Yes. Pocket your vaping device. Ready, go. Yes. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen. Please rise, remove your caps, extinguish your cigarettes, pocket your vaping devices, remove your earbuds, and pay attention to the flag as we honor America with our national anthem. Dynamite. There's the open right there. (laughs) That's the open of the show. Well, we could probably keep going forever, so I know I probably should wrap it at some so, point. So, is there anything else you want to um, talk about the Senate thing? Because we well, haven't really uh, drifted to that much. Well, again, that's that's secondary to why you're here. Just, and I really haven't talked about my connection with Millbank either. Well, I mean, you just mentioned growing a up times. in Big Stone, and yeah, I mean, this oh, this is home. Oh, you know, I, so I've been here ten years now. Yeah, in this part of the world, and I got the chance to meet the mayor of Big Stone City a couple of years ago. Actually, is when they broke ground at the big, uh, the big stone power plant, mm-hmm. the big upgrade. Yep. And so I got to meet her, and I learned something fascinating: that Big Stone City really, really is mad at Millbank still for stealing this county seat. Oh, yeah. And that is nuts to me. First well, off, that it happened. Same thing happened. And that they in still Gary, are holding the, the grudge. Gary. Gary, South Dakota, yeah. was the county seat of Dual County until Clear Lake stole mm-hmm. it. Were they just too close to the border? You think we got to get that? Ca- got to get the capital farther inland. No, because um, both town, of those towns are on the border. Aren't bigger they? town. Okay, you know, Clear Lake was bigger and Millbank was bigger, and they just decided that's where it should be. It's centrally located. It makes a lot of sense to have Millbank the county seat. Well, I think it does, but I also don't know any different. Yeah. You talk to them, and it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the old uh, the what's left of the old courthouse is a garage on a friend of mine's farm. Oh, what is wrong with Big Stone Lake? Uh, I I would need a little bit narrower definition of that question. Okay, so my in laws live on Big it's Stone green. Lake. The, yes, it's green. Yes, this is the problem. It's weedy. Yeah, it didn't used to be, from what I've heard. Right. Why? What, what is the problem? Uh, I would say there, there's been a little bit more runoff, uh, some ag runoff, some... Uh, this is sounding political, John. No. <laughs> no. What's what's changed about Big Stone Lake? I don't know. It's just so dang shallow. Part of it, and then part of it was they changed the outlet. The Whetstone River never used to flow into Big Stone Lake. They met. Mm. They met beneath what's the the dam is now on the south side of the lake uh-huh. and there there is a group of people trying to get that back into how it used to be so the whetstone just merges into the minnesota river oh beneath outside, past the big stone gotcha lake. and uh i think the whetstone water quality has improved immensely in the few, right. in the past few years too so um i would say that's part of it and again i'm not trying to sound like a politician but uh, if you want to say what's wrong with Big Stone Lake, you can turn it into any pet project that you're a fan of. It, it's one of the reasons why I'm I'm not much of a believer in the whole global warming movement because you can use it to uh, define someone's uh, to to use it to tell somebody that they can't do something you don't like. 
What do you think about private property rights? I'm huge on private property rights. Huge on private property rights. What does that mean? Um, I, I think that they are one of the things that actually define America. Uh, what, what, um, you buy a piece of land, you should be able to, to pretty much do what you want with it. I think. Well, I mean, within w- reason. What, what is the within reason? Uh, I mean, we have zoning ordinances for a reason. I mean, you, you can't put, uh, uh, a crematorium in the middle of, uh, right next to a, an elementary school. Did you know that? Uh, no. Yeah, that's like that. That's written in the rules. Yeah, it's written in the rules. Huh. It's got to be a certain <laughs> distance from certain places, and your smokestack has to be a certain height. Which this is written down because they they probably ran into this problem at some point. Government exists <laughs> to mediate disputes. Is the whole reason we had to have a government in the first place? It, once two people got along really well and a third person mo- uh, moved in their area and, and all of a sudden they didn't start getting along, somebody had to be in charge. Well, they learned out democracy didn't work right when the first two voted that guy off the island. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why we need to have a modified democracy, something like the republic we live in today. And when you're modifying disputes, you have to come up with detailed rules. And if you want to get into detailed rules, wow, can we come up with detailed rules? Mm-hmm. So do you think that uh, when we asked for a marshal, I'm talking way back, mm-hmm. you know, Deadwood, you know, the yeah. crazy town. Yep. When you ask for a marshal to come in and say, we need you to help clean up the riffraff, mm-hmm. did society, in quotes, give up freedoms doing that? Yep. And the most important part we gave up was responsibilities. Mm. With freedom comes responsibility. Mm -hmm. And if you surrender your freedom, you always find out you surrendered your responsibilities first. That is the pull into big government. Handing off your responsibilities. Freedom and liberty. liberty. Um, Oh, man, it's justice and equality. Mm -hmm. Can they be together? Freedom and... Freedom and liberty. Yep. And justice and equality. Can you marry those four things ever? Perfectly no. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Perfectly no. There, there has to be somewhat of a balance. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. We decided that was a dumb idea a long time ago. And that's, even though we have pretty much unbridled freedom of speech, you, you, I can't go out and say um, that... Uh, you know, there, there's repercussions for everything you say. I mean, I can't go out and just trash everything you do and lie about what you do mm-hmm. because you, then you can sue me for slandering your name. Um, I can't run over across the street into the mill uh, right before the, the climax of the movie and yell fire when there's no fire because I, I'm liable for anybody that gets hurt in a stampede. Um, there, that's a balance. Is that total freedom? No. Mm-hmm. But your personal responsibility comes in, and whether that comes from religion, uh, from your, your family, from uh, your, your background, you have to have some little voice inside of your head saying that's wrong and that's right. And it, we have to have, a, I believe, a, a general consensus of what that is for freedom and responsibility to exist in their maximum. Does that make sense? I think so. 
Uh, on your Facebook page. Uh-oh. It's not about the Ice Bucket Challenge video, is it? No. No, uh, I won't even mention, but I watched Anderson Cooper cry a little bit the other day on television. Because okay. He's mad. People I are thought being... that was hilarious when I saw that. It was funny, but uh, <clears throat> why does the NRA matter? Why does the NRA matter? Mm-hmm. There is no First Amendment without the Second. But why does the NRA matter? Why does the NRA matter? Yeah. I mean, why, why is it important to say, to be associated with the NRA as, as a conservative Republican? Why is it important? See, to be everybody a, looks at that as that's my political stance. That's who I am. It's on your picture. Yeah, yeah. you are. That, <laughs> yes, I mean, right. and that, I don't do, a, if, if you notice, I don't do a lot of politics on my personal page. No. I don't. But I am the NRA. I'm a member of the NRA. I've been... Um, when I look around at the best part of my experience with firearms, hunting, and anything, part of it was made possible through the NRA. They did all the, they provided all the materials for our safety training. Um, they're they're genuine, genuinely working in what I believe to be the best interest of our country, providing the the basic fundamentals of uh, the 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 right to keep and bear arms which i believe is absolutely essential for our nation unfettered unfettered an armed society is a polite society i heard uh, louis lamore once say that <laughs> a gun <coughs> on the hip of a man who knows how to use it is the most deadly weapon a holster gun. Mm-hmm. Because once it's out of the holster, all chips are down. There's no, there's nothing left. But when it's still holstered and you know that guy knows how to use it, then you have order. Exactly. And I, I you know, that's that's a similar thought. And I, it's kind of interesting that, that idea that having weapons around and understanding the value of them and understanding the majesty of them but and what and what they can do that brings me back to my responsibility <laughs> the r word yeah yeah mm-hmm. and and that is is exactly a huge part of my life is the responsibility and that's why outside of the politics thing i'm also the uh the the chairman and founder of the grant county friends of nra we raise uh, the, in 1990 this is a social drinking club no <laughs> Uh, in 1991, <laughs> the NRA was sued mm-hmm. because uh, they the, the people who sued them thought that their money that they donated to the NRA for safety training was being used for political purposes they didn't necessarily agree with. So the NRA was broken into three organizations, the Basic Parent National Rifle Association, the uh, NRA ILA, the Institute for Legislative Action, and the nonprofit 501c3 that we call the Friends of NRA. And that's where Eddie Eagle lives. That's where all uh-huh. of the, the firearm safety training materials are printed. And that is the number one provider of uh, fundraising activities for youth shooting sports in America. And I believe that if you want to stop school shootings, you, you put guns in kids' hands, you teach them how to respect them, and you teach them how to properly use them. That was where I wanted to go next. <coughs> What's the answer to shooting, or to not, to not have school shootings? The answer's at home. 
the answer's at home. It's in your religion. It's in your background. It's in your raising. Uh, the gun is not the problem. It's the person pulling the trigger. Okay. There's mental health issues we need to deal with, and that's one thing we're working on in South Dakota. We're horrible at it. We're trying to get better. I'm, again, unvarnished on that. Um, suicide is a huge problem in South Dakota, and there's a lot of other things. People are harming each other and themselves at an incredibly alarming rate in this country and in this state. And I don't see how the government can fix it if we can't start fixing it at home. And I don't know how to address it, and I'm really looking for any ideas you have. Is there a way to address it? If Because... Well, you can't legislate morality, for one. No. I mean, really. You, I mean, you, other than don't kill someone, and if you do kill someone, then here's the consequence. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's a more moral legislation, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if you kill somebody, we'll kill you back. Next. Well, does that... Maybe. Some, in some, some cases. Know, I know, but I mean, it, basically, <laughs> you know, in, in your, your point blank, like Texas law, poof. You know, like the old Ron White. You kill somebody in Texas, <laughs> we'll kill you back. You know, speaking of uh, guns in school, the South Dakota State High School Clay Target League and the Shooting Sports Association, mm-hmm. I love it because they their marketing campaign is the safest sport in high school. It is, and it absolutely is. <laughs> I mean, the one where they're shooting guns a lot is the safest sport. My oldest son just went through Hunt Safe. Okay, and uh, he also was part of 4-H shooting sports since he was eight. Uh, he just did the, the clay target for 4-H shooting sports, and uh, he really wants me to uh, get working to start a twenty two rifle program. Our county doesn't have one No, yet. it's just BB gun. BB gun, air rifle, air pistol, and now uh, they just started yeah. clays. And we have the high school clay team in Millbank, which, yeah. by the way, uh, friends of NRA raised money, and some of that went to the clay shooting team. Okay. And doesn't the yeah. Ortonville school have a trap shooting team as well? Yep, they do. And they shoot in Millbank for now. Are they? I heard yeah. tell they're they're trying. potentially going to get They're trying. A, it sounds rank. like uh, there there might be a deal where they can get some land. There was some pushback for a while, right? There was. We can't have that I, noise. I, we can't have the noise. Again, <laughs> if that guy owns that land, it's his private property. Yeah. Beside, adjacent to the property they wanted to use. I know, it's So, uh, again, here we go, private property rights. Where's the I know. water I know. those? You know, and, and, you know in, the, in Grant County, we've had issues in the past mm-hmm. um, with different businesses that were going out of town. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and easements and... And what, hog, what barns hog barns and can, dairy barns and... Well, and, and what no. they can do with their crap when they're dumping it, um, you know, where uh, the lines no, run. No, 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 no. Yes? Half of the profits... Of something like that, or at least a good percentage of them are people who want to buy the animal-derived soil nutrients that come out of that lagoon. Because it is one of the finest, safest fertilizers you can use in your soil. So here's a question. Yeah. The hose, quotes, Mm -hmm. the pipe that exits it out, runs in a ditch. Mm -hmm. That is someone's taxable property, correct? Technically, and in, yes. And but in the event of a spill, is not the landowner responsible for that cleanup? No. Legally? No. Wait a second. It's in the DENR permit for being able to pump it in the first place. It's all clearly laid out in the DENR permit that every pumper must 
to apply for and receive all the details on how to clean up a spill. And uh, who who's liable for it? The person pumping the manure. Okay. The animal-based soil nutrients. <laughs> Words matter. Exactly. <laughs> Marketing. Hello. Yes. There we are. Um, <laughs> hey, that's a non-sales tax product. That's Marketing right. To, no. um, really? Because I've heard from multiple farmers that own land mm-hmm. that the, it is their responsibility in the event of a spill. If they're buying it. If it's going, if no, it's, it's just being run, applied down to their the, land. No, it's just running down the road no, and it's overcrossing no, it's, someone's. It's clearly laid out in the okay. DENR permits. All right. I, I don't know. I'm just, this is, I what, know. this is why we're talking. I'm like Larry King. You yeah. don't do any research beforehand. You just ask the questions. That's cool. No, no. It's, <laughs> uh, that, that's one of the biggest misconceptions of the whole thing is it, it's laid out in the DENR permit. I went through a DENR pumping permit and it's like 13, 18 pages long and you have to go through all this stuff and. There's uh, quite commonly set up that uh, the the, per, the the pumper does this either for a living or it's part of his own farm and and there's there's different rules if you're a professional pumper mm-hmm. than if you do it for your own place but uh, the the DNR has them all laid out on their website. So then it, now is that the responsibility of the buyer of the product to get that permit? Like the person that wants it on their land. Well, no, it's the it's the primary responsibility. Of the guy whose lagoon is getting full. Oh, okay. So he's got to get the permit to get it out of there. Well, eventually, or else. Well, or else, then you have a problem. Yeah, I mean, it's just like if uh, you own one of those uh, little uh, porta potties that shows up at any event. I mean, eventually, it's going to have to get emptied. And I mean, that's. That's one of the, the, the things that nobody ever likes to talk about, and that's why there will always be money in uh, sewage and in uh, garbage because nobody ever wants to talk about it. They just want it gone, and they're usually not afraid to pay for that. Those who smell worst usually do very well. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that the federal government is going in the right direction right now? Not completely. I think we're starting to turn some corners. I, I like uh, the president's idea, President Trump, um, cutting two regulations for, or four regulations for every new one. I think that's a start. I, I really like uh, some of the ideas that we're renegotiating some of these horrible trade deals. And I, this gets me into political problems, but I, I really think we're doing some of the right things, even with China right now. And I, I hate to be the one to say this, but I'm gonna, you, you just gotta, to, to, to hunker down and, and get through this. And I, I think when it comes to negotiation on business, I, I think that's one thing that the president knows a little something about, and I think he's going to win. Do really you have do. a problem with him bypassing the media and tweeting everything he thinks apparently? Well, how many years have those of us who have, watched some of the big media really 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 either miss or distort the big stuff and we're going oh i just wish we had somebody who could get around them and fight back well this is what it looks like and it's ugly and if you enjoy somebody who can get past the media get to people and immediately make a difference then um that's what it looks like and it's ugly 
But. Does it matter that the president of the United States is, probably to put it lightly, immoral? If that bothered to a higher percentage of the people, the the Access Hollywood video would have immediately took him out of the, taken him out of the uh, potential of being elected to anything. I think that there are some people who see Trump as not um, the answer to everything, but he was different. It was a direction we've never gone. He's somebody who doesn't uh, fit into cookie cutter of what a politician should be. He's not afraid to fight, and he th- and most people believe that he fights for them. Whether that's true or not, we'll find out at the end of four years. I, I really think two things. He's getting a horrible shake from the media, uh, and he's getting a horrible shake from his own party. I think there's a lot of Republicans who just, they, they don't like him. He's, he's not one of the club, and he's never going to fit in. And they're they're not uh, defending some of the the stuff. And I'm not saying you have to defend him because he's a Republican and he's your president, but I'm saying he's uh, hitting more than he's missing. And there's a lot of really good things he's doing that nobody even knows about because they never hear it on the media. Do you think he's just a master manipulator? Oh yeah, um yeah, I, I yeah. Is his uh, online persona? Just that. Yeah. It's like Rush Limbaugh. There's a certain amount of braggadocio. There's mm-hmm. a certain amount of uh, uh, just, you know, pushing the envelope a little bit and, and, and being uh, bombastic for the sake of being bombastic. But uh, you know, if you've ever read his book, it's what he does. You, you lay it out there. You say, I want $100 million is what I really want. Well, I'm going to go demand 500 and I'm going to scream and holler, jump up and down. And then in the back door, when the final deal gets made, I make 100 or 150 and everybody's happy. I'm going to go get it from Wayfair and Newegg. Exactly. (laughs) Ding, ding. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I don't have a dinger. I just hit all the noise gates and ruined everything. Oh, sorry. That's a bad callback, but hey. No, that's funny. It's okay. I mean, Uh, (laughs) it's all about perspective. Absolutely. and, and, And those of us who have lived this and... I, I'm still not afraid of that vote that I made. And I, I actually carried the bill for the marketplaces on oh, the Senate SB2. floor. SB2, I carried that on the Senate floor. Hmm. Okay, so back to this, I something I was thinking of. What about uh, a yard sale? Is that a taxable transaction no. already in the state? It's already exempted. So how? So what happens if I sell that same product on eBay? Uh, it's no longer exempted, right? No, no longer exempted. How it's come? totally different. How come? You've engaged a marketing firm. You've you've gone past a single. What about Craigslist then? Craigslist not mm-hmm. taxable. How come? Because you're collecting the money. Is what we decided. We had to have a point. What about Facebook? Selling on Facebook. There you collect the money. So there's no middle person there. No middle person there. Okay. It it all goes down. We had to pick a point. I mean, it's the problem with government. You can't just say this about this and that about that. You have to pick a rule, and you have to have a point to stand by. And your point is, whoever collects the money, we determine if they're responsible for collecting tax or not. And that's what we did. Gotcha. So there's your two hundred or 100000 and there's your uh, the whole deal there. For now. Hmm? Yeah. You can <laughs> yeah. say that. I, mean, I am. <laughs> for now. And I will be one of those guys, I'll tell you right now, 
I don't want to go below that. Yeah. And I, I'm not afraid to say that. And I'm one of those guys who's going to push to make sure that every dime of this gets counted and we get that half penny knocked down as quickly as we can. That and that fantastic. goes back in your pocket. That's why I fought so hard to get it done so we could get rid of the half penny that I never was in favor of. And by the way, I voted against that. Oh, good. <laughs> so uh, that you... was real popular <laughs> with every school teacher I ever knew, by the way. Mm. But I thought it was the right thing to do. I think the, the problem isn't money. The shortage of it, it's how it's being spent. And the problem is when you get to become on the Appropriations Committee and you look at how the money's spent, so much of it is tied to federal mandates that it makes them want to pull your hair out. So so, so the school districts hair. don't really have a say in how they can spend their money? Is that the idea? There's, I wouldn't say... Or they don't have a say, a say in how they spend every dollar, that's for sure. So the Millbank School District just voted... On Tuesday, which today is Thursday, mm-hmm. September 20. So three days ago, they voted to build a 15 point something, nearly $16 million new elementary school. Yes, they did. Plus whatever land costs. Plus so, whatever it's going to cost to demolish the old one. Correct. Is that the proper role of a tax in government? Well, that was referred, and that's what right. the voters thought. Yeah. So, uh, since uh, the government is of the people, by the people, for the people, then <laughs> apparently, yes. Okay. Yeah, and, and I the fact and that that's we not had 11... designed to be a politically safe no, it, answer. It's true, it's, though. It's I think. just yeah. you deserve the government you get. Yeah. Like it or not, you get the government you deserve, and you deserve the government you get. Well, and we had uh, we do a couple of the shows out of the studio, and one of them is run by two high school kids, and they got uh, Mr. Graff, superintendent, in. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so I sat in on that show and kind of asked some questions too, and it was kind of fun to hear from not, nothing offensive from the horse's mouth, mm-hmm. um, what their thought was there. Yeah, and you know it makes it a lot. And what what if I may interrupt yes. for a second? And how far has society uh, degenerated to the point where you can't just say? From the horse's mouth without thinking you might offend somebody. <laughs> well, uh, I also have another show that I do uh, that's political. Uh, and there was, a, we were talking through some things. And I routinely refer to my children as little monkeys and to. Oh, the it, monkey. Oh. If, but but if, if you are the head guy somewhere or somewhere in a big leadership, yeah. I tend to just sometimes I'll default to the head monkey there. Right. You can't just say that anymore. No, and it's unfortunate yeah. because I I don't I don't care what someone looks like. I don't okay. care their color. But same here. It's unfortunate. Now I have one more thing that falls along this route, and I want to leave this for you. If you look like we're about ready to go, and that's cool, I could sit here all night because I have a microphone in front of me. And I, so I do kind of miss that. I, I don't see a turntable though. I oh. know. I have a turntable at oh. home yet. Nice. Yeah. I don't. I want one. Sorry. Yeah. That's a side drill. Anyway. What was I doing? Um, I've yes. taken too much cold medicine today. What was I doing? It was uh, a side things you trip. can't say. Things you nowadays. can't. Can't. Yeah. I horse's love. mouth. Um. Ah, um, uh, I, I had a great point, and I, I, I cut myself off. Oh, darn it! Uh, it was something along those lines, and I totally lost it. I apologize for bringing it up. Oh, brother. The, um. <laughs> 
Blame it on the Mucinex DM, man. There you go. It's running out. Uh, but we learned in that little interview with the Super um, that they had original, like there were a few options on the table. And one of the bids that we got, they got back was considerably higher for to build a school to the specs that they need and that like Minnesota would need. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, I talked to them. I have some friends in Minnesota that do school pictures for schools in there and they just built uh, an elementary, I think elementary school. And it was like 23, 24 million mm-hmm. similar size. So for me, that made me feel a little bit better that at least it doesn't feel like that Millbank is thinking outlandish. And that's one thing that Mr. Graff said is that this really is, it gets us up to where we are currently. It doesn't, it's not crazy growth. It's not insane. It just kind of gets us to where we need to be right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, I mean, it's $16 million, but it feels somewhat responsible. Now, same day that Millbank passed there, Sioux Falls. 150, was 190. it? 190. 190 million. Is that five schools, though? Dollars, something like that. Yeah. By, by what, 2025? Yeah. But yeah. when you think about it, uh, population, Millbanks per person was probably going to end up being a little higher. I kind of did the math. It's nearly $32,000 per kid yeah. as far as enrolled student in that building. Okay, so how does it go for Sioux Falls? Oh, man, what would that be? Um, I, I could tell you this during the session. You were just there. Yeah, well, during a real session. <laughs> The numbers that go through my head, you know, some of the things I've learned out there, absolutely phenomenal. And that's one of the reasons I want to go back is I have learned so much and I've been able to apply that. And uh, I I really think that uh, I am an effective voice in peer. I really do. That's That would be the main reason, the pitch. If you're going to ask me, why are you running? That's it. I think I'm learning this and and I, I think without sounding self-aggrandizing that uh, I'm actually gaining a few skills and I'm effective at, at getting done what I think is right and I would not do anything that I wouldn't ask you right across this table to do for government. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to go out and, and have a, a an agenda that's totally weird. Now, you and I might not agree on how far to go with the Second Amendment, but that doesn't mean that... Uh, um, I'm, I don't, sh- you know, I have my personal beliefs and, and I'm, I'm going to do that. And I believe that at the end of the day, most, more people will agree with my list of beliefs than with, uh, hopefully my opponent. That's how I live my life. You're hiring me to be your representative and peer and your Senator and you're, you're hiring me to be your voice. And that's the way our government works. I'm here for, you know, job interview. And if you agree with more of my positions than my opponent, you hire me. If you were an animal, what would it be? I have no idea because I'm not an animal. <laughs> I'm a human being. I'm the top of the food chain as appointed by God Almighty himself. <laughs> Way back I had a job interview <clears throat> as a designer at a newspaper. And that was one of the first uh, questions I got asked. Really? And I thought, huh. I wouldn't know how to do those. What a strange question to ask. Yeah. Because what does it mean? Apparently some someone thought it meant something. Oh. If I had to be an animal, what would I be? Well, <laughs> then say, well, uh, I'd really like to be a cow because they just stand around all day and eat. And that's all they do. 
And the bigger the cow, the happier the cow. So the cows who eat more win. I want to be a cow. Maybe a buck and bull. Because they've got it pretty cushy, those things. Yes, they do. Or, you know, I don't know. If I wanted to be an animal, hmm. But then, see, then you get into that whole, a wolf is kind of cool. Or a grizzly bear. Or a polar bear. Because then you're never hot. Yeah, but I mean, if you're a polar bear, you're losing all your habitat. I mean, just read the news. Yeah, right. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Should abortion be illegal? I believe that's your 50 states. Okay. And I believe that is a state's rights issue, and I believe that if most people in South Dakota think it's illegal, that doesn't mean that uh, you can't drive to Wilmer or Worthington or Minneapolis or St. Paul. That sound like... Sounds politician Good job. Well, no. I mean, <laughs> I believe personally that it is murder, and we're here for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The first of those is life, and... I mean, that ends a life. You can't convince me it doesn't. So, that's just I guess, where I Yeah, lie. the question is, what, what is the consequence, I guess, right? right. And that yeah. really is what it comes down to? Yeah. And and that's that's what it is to me. It's 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 a very personal, heartbreaking decision that I'm, I'm sure that uh, people don't want the government involved with, and I get all of that. I completely understand it, but... If government does anything in our phony baloney lives is we have to stand up for human life. Mm -hmm. And that to me is standing up for the absolute most innocent human life on the planet. They've never even been exposed to the outside world yet. No matter the circumstance? No matter the circumstance. It's a human life. No matter how it got there, it's a human life. We need to protect and guard that human life. The other side of that position tends to say... That Republicans only care about the baby in the womb. And once it's out, forget them. We're not going to help as a government. We're not going to fix it. We're not going to give you any help. We're not going to do nothing. That, that, that's the other side of the argument. I would say that's a, 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 Is that a talking point? unfair. It's a talking point. It's um, maybe something to justify a few votes in, in, in their own head. I, I don't know where that comes from. I, I think... That uh, in South Dakota, even though we're not known worldwide for our in- incredible welfare, I don't think that there is uh, anybody in South Dakota who would uh, starve to death because of services not available from the state or from a private charity. Really honestly. I'd say that how the government has picked up from where charity used to be 50, 60 years ago, and it all used to be centered around families and then churches and then government. And now it's government. And then if you can't find help from the government, then you go to your family. And then maybe if you're even a member of a church, you, you think about looking there. And I really think it's up to us that are pro-life, that are uh, into the personal responsibility thing to step up and be the responsible ones who come up with things that are not government related that actually go out and help people and and fill our responsibility in because if your religion is what motivates you uh jesus didn't say hand this over to the government and do it jesus said to do it and and that's what motivates me is um 
yeah, I'm not empowering the government to take over that part of your life because uh, a lot of people view that as a trade-off, like, okay, the government's in my womb now, so the government has to raise the kid. No, uh, the the government is in your womb because there there is a human being there, and we're protecting that human being, and we want that person to have the same opportunity as everybody else of every skin color, race, nationality, um, and and have the opportunity, first of all, to be born and to grow up and get a fair shake. That's it. But what if the situation that they will be born into is just miserable? Well, I don't like Mondays. Should, should I kill myself? I mean, let, let's be honest. A human life is the most important thing we have. That's it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of really, really wonderful people have come from really horrible situations. There, there's a lot of justifications that happen that I've always tried to be an optimist, and, and I, I get it that it's an uncomfortable thing to talk about. And, oh, that kid's not going to have anything. He's probably going to grow up. He's probably going to be on drugs. And he probably might be born for the one reason that, not, that uh, none of us have the ability to comprehend on God's earth why that person could ever be here but there is a reason or that person wouldn't be here that's what i believe so whose job is welfare well like i said it it sounds like it's it's not government's job i really would like to see it come back to family church government in that order i do do believe there there needs to be a safety net even in my idealistic world when it comes back to how it used to be Mm -hmm. on that side of it there needs to be a safety net for people who don't have family, who don't have uh, a church, and don't have a network of people that will help support them. But I really do believe we, we need to get back to more of that. I think we're just too distant and staring at phones and looking at uh, looking for the answer, and the answer is the person sitting next to you holding the phone looking for that answer is, is to get together uh, form a network and take care of people. Take care of people yourself. And I keep bumping this; it's turning off my headsets, and I get nervous because I'm an old radio guy. <laughs> oh no, you're good. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. So anyway, but you said safety net. Yeah, my dad uses the analogy for what the government welfare safety net should. A visual, of what it is, and it's the trapeze artist. Mm-hmm. They're up up on the trapeze, but below them is an actual net. Mm-hmm. And that net is only there when they fall. Yep. And when you fall on it, you don't stay there. You get up and you get out of the way so it's there for the next guy. Well, and it keeps you from dead. Yes. And then you get back up on, yeah. So what happened to where we created these, like, seats in that safety net and beds and, you know, places where you can just lounge? That is a great way to get reelected. And that's our show, everybody. Making sure that people are really comfortable in that yeah. hammock is a great way to get reelected. So if you run as a politician and you are offering things to people, you'll probably win. Who do you like better? Santa, Santa Claus? <laughs> Santa yeah. Claus or the superintendent? Who, which one do you like better? There has to be a superintendent. Yeah. There has to be somebody in charge. There has to be somebody uh, making the rules and, and, and being the proverbial bad guy. And it's really tough to vote for that person. But uh, uh, Santa Claus can't run the world. So where did this begin? And then we'll kind of wrap with this because, again, I could go on forever too. I know. Um, 
Because it's endless, yeah. really. Where did it begin? Well, if you ask my grandfather. Roosevelt. Roosevelt. And it all ties back together, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. And there you have it. This is called wrapping up the ends right here, <laughs> tying it all together into a nice little bow. John Wick running for South Dakota District 4 Senate. Yes. It's for a second term in the Senate? Second term in the Senate. Third term total in peers, what I'm asking for, and I appreciate your support. And I really, really genuinely thank you for the time. This has been the most fun I've had in front of a microphone in 10 years. Excellent. Well, you are more than welcome to come back whenever. Sure. Uh, Let me know. may not talk country music, but... Whatever. (laughs) I'm open to anything. Absolutely. This will be fun. Uh, John Wick, thank you so much for coming in. This is the interview on the Wild Bill Bank Podcast Network. I'm Craig Weinberg. Thanks for listening. This will be uh, available on the Google Play Store. I'm not sure why, but it is. Um, the Apple iTunes Podcast Store. Whymailbank.com slash podcasts. If you have questions for us, whymailbank.com. Thanks a lot for listening. Have a great day. <laughs>